Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. And also this week, a special guest. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I've seated my spot on the science couch to our very special, very smart guest, evolutionary biologist and science YouTuber, Sally LePage. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm good. good. What's your tagline? My tagline this week is, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. Oh, very good. Mm. We're also, as usual, joined by Sari Riley, writer for Complexly and Various Things. And uh, I also want to know what your tagline is. What even are sprinkles? And also Sam Schultz is here. Hello. Welcome to the dummy couch. Yeah, it's great to be here. I feel so much less pressure. Yeah, do you really? Yeah, no, not really. (laughs) What's your tagline? Jolly old elf. Oh, is it our (laughs) Christmas episode? It might be. (laughs) Jingle, jingle. I'm Hank, and my tagline is, shoes are for shoes. Oh, gosh. My mind's blown. That is deep. Yeah. Is it though? <laughs> what is a shoe shoe? It's shoes for shoes. The sole of your shoes is the shoe of your shoe. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a much better tagline than mine. <laughs> All right. So every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together, four friends, to try and one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Hank Bucks. Uh, we do everything we can to stay on topic, but we do have a podcast called SciShow Tangents, so it's possible that we will go off topic. If the topic that we go off on is deemed not worthy, you have to pay a Hank Buck. Uh, so make your tangent worthwhile. We're a pretty open-minded bunch. We don't really 
uh, penalize people very frequently. It's okay. true. Yeah. It's true. So uh, it doesn't matter how wide a tangent it is, no. as long as it's interesting. Correct. Yeah. And as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. I slipped right in your fishy mouth. Eee. Tongue's in the way, so I cut it out. Now we swim the ocean blue. You attached to me and me attached to you. I tried to help you with my little arms to capture food and not do much harm. But I must admit, your blood is yummy and I can't help but nibble things going to your tummy. You're my best friend. I'll never leave you. But lately I've noticed your skin's a pale hue. So if someday we should have to part, I'll find a new mouth, but you'll always be in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that louse? that replaces the tongue of other fish. Yeah, I can't say its name. Simothoa exigua? It's sure. like a little, yeah, a little crustacean-y guy. He yeah. like, like chews off the tongue of a of a, a fish a and fish. it's like, I'm your tongue now. Yeah. yeah. You just and open then, a fish's mouth and there's a smiley little face looking back at right They back are kind of cute. They got cute little faces, They're but they got good. very bad bodies. Would <laughs> 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 well, you yeah. want your tongue to be an a, a animal? I wouldn't want any part of my body to have its own consciousness. What if it was loyal to you, though, and it could, like, crawl away and come back with stuff? Ooh, like a like a familiar. Yeah, except yeah. it's your hand or something. Right. No, absolutely. I would have that be my shoe-shoe. It's a shoe-shoe. <laughs> Remember earlier in the episode? It's a callback. <laughs> Five minutes ago. My brain's got some holes. <laughs> yeah, I would want, uh, like, it would be great if my shoes had were sentient. Oh yeah, just your shoes. That would feel really bad for your shoes, though. No, they. I'm not. They might like it. Like grass doesn't mind being walked on, so it would be like that. It would be. It would be evolutionary, evolutionarily adapted to be a shoe. So it just reminds me of like enjoy the process of being a shoe in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy number two, where the pig's like, "I love being eaten. Why don't you take a chop from my thigh?" And (laughs) it's just bizarre. Well, and that would be like that, except shoes. And they would love having your stinky feet in them. And it would be like, oh, I like how moist it is. Would you have to feed them? No, you just slough off foot skin cells. I like this. There's Sam likes it. That has a parasite that is like a shoe parasite. It what? eats, it's a mite that eats its leg and then attaches itself to the ant's leg and just sucks a little bit of lymph from the ant no. as it walks around. But you get your leg, and then all the mites' legs help them grip to surfaces. So <gasps> it's a bonus. Oh, Holy my cow. God. Why didn't I hear leg. about that? I mean, I, I thought about, for my truth or fail, when I read about this this tongue replacement bug uh-huh. thing, you called it a, what did you call it, a louse? Louse. Is that what it is? I think it is, basically. I think so. So it lives in the sea. It lives so in the it's sea. not an insect. Even Some kind of crustacean. Taxonomically, they're the same. Yeah. yeah. And I think it has multiple pairs of legs. Mm-hmm. I think okay. they're I think some kind of sea too. louse. Because fish are always being attacked by lice. I didn't know sea lice were a thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm over here on the non-science couch. <laughs> feeling fine about it. What? Wait, now I have a question. <laughs> so would that be... Would that be a parasite or would that be like a symbiote with the ant leg? It's fuzzy. It is fuzzy. Parasitism is kind of fuzzy, but the general definition is that it is an organism that is taking resources or doing harm to another organism. Right. Um, And so because it's a long-lasting relationship, it stays Mm -hmm. the ant's leg for a while, and it's sucking away lymph and nutrients from the ant constantly, Mm -hmm. probably parasitic. But like, I, I guess the idea is like if the benefit that the that the ant gets from having this better shoe 
which I can't believe you had an anecdote about an actual <laughs> science parasite shoe, but mm-hmm. here we are shoe living shoes. in the actual world. <laughs> Is the benefit worth the loss in lymph? And if so, then it's a it's a symbiotic relationship. But mm-hmm. like, it's probably not. Oh, wait. Mutualism. Mutualism. Yeah, mutualism. Thanks. What did I say? Symbiosis. So symbiosis is both benefit. Okay. Mutualism includes where neither benefits, but neither really loses out. But I feel like in that case, both would be benefiting because the louse is getting lymph or the mite is getting lymph and the ant is getting sticky feet. And, and like, great kicks. And everybody's like, those are very fashionable. <laughs> Does it have Velcro? Yeah, it, it depends on if the fitness right. You'd have to. consequences weigh out, yeah. You'd have yeah. to ask the ant, probably, how it yeah. felt about it. My guess is the ant's like, I don't like having my foot be eaten by <laughs> yeah. a tiny, tiny bug. Did we even say we're talking about... Uh, the topic pa- is parasites. Okay, go around to it eventually. All right. And, uh, and now, we're going to start out, as always, with... So this is the part where I, this week, have prepared three science facts for everybody's education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is true. The other panelists have to decide which one is the true one. Uh, And if you get that, you get a Hank Buck. If you get it wrong, then I get a Hank Buck because I tricked you. And I have three facts about parasites, but more particularly about how humans, before the advent of modern medicine, Uh, dealt with parasites because parasites have obviously been around for a long time and medicine has not been around for a long time. So we had a whole lot of life where we just lived with them and tried to get rid of them in various weird ways. So, friends, tell me which one of these things was a way that humans dealt with parasites before the advent of modern medicine. One, in Japan, where they eat plenty of raw fish, Those raw fish also sometimes had parasites in them. So in order to kill those parasites, instead of cooking the fish, which might seem like the obvious thing to do, they would rub a caustic root on them, which would cause them to either leave the fish or die. And the name of that root is wasabi. Two, in the 1700s, the bark of a tree which indigenous people in Peru used to help with shivering was given to people in Rome who had malaria, which is caused by a parasite, to help stop their shivering. Instead, it killed the parasite and saved millions of lives. The responsible compound ended up being called quinine. Or three, Pliny the Elder thought that ticks generated spontaneously from grasses, and he thought they were the, quote, foulest and nastiest creatures that exist. But his main suggestion for preventing them was to cover a person in the leftover dregs from a pressing of olive oil mixed with wine, and then let the person sit in the sun all day, and that would make ticks less interested in them in the future. So, we have wasabi, was used to kill parasites, two, uh, accidental malaria, Cure or three, Pliny the Elder was wrong about stuff, which is, uh, that's true. But particularly, he was wrong about leaving someone in the sun while covered in olive pressings and wine. So this is a tricky one, because I know that quinine derives from a South American bark and Uh is an anti-malarial, and that malaria was in the Mediterranean around the time of the Romans. It's whether all of those came together (laughs) to be a true thing. Whether there was trade between South America and... Ancient Rome is my biggest question in uh, that fact. Well, not that ancient Rome. 1700s. Mid, oh, seven, oh, not ancient at all. No, no, no. Oh, okay. So so that is likely, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. And this is why I don't like Hank's facts, because they're <laughs> mostly true. And there's something that's wrong about it. Um, but I do know that the story of quinine has something to do with, I don't know when the dye came in. 
And when we realized it was an uh, anti-malarial agent in relation to the mm, dye, like the, the purple moving. Okay. Versus if we just tried sampling part of the tree and turned that into medicine. Mm. So... But I will say, as this is called tangents, that that is where gin and tonics came from. Yes. Was because... Because quinine is very bitter. And it's in tonic water. I hope uh. it's not the last one, because that one is more boring than the other two. Yeah. But that makes okay. me think, could be that one. And I feel like I've heard the dye part as part of the origin story for them finding out about it being anti-malarial. The last one sounds like Hank just made up a story to me. <laughs> 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 because, like, Flanny the Elder. Did yeah. whatever he wanted. And yeah. I don't understand what the scientific benefit of rubbing olive oil and wine on someone would be. And I feel like even if he made things up and theorized randomly, he had a reason behind all these things. If stones are falling from the sky and those are dinosaur teeth or whatever. <laughs> but he had a reason for that and had right. some story to tell around that. Wait, what? There was definitely a thing where he thought that that fossils fell f- like as a fossil rain. And he was like, that's where they come from. Uh, or something what like a dummy. that. Yeah, yeah, he, he had some, <laughs> he had some stuff wrong. But hey, it was a different time. That's true. And then wasabi on fish. Mm-hmm. That could be the sleeper. Like that could be the one. I mean, it could be. Sounds I just cool. don't think that rubbing it would make a difference. There are communities in Southeast Asia where they eat so much seaweed that now they have the genes for digesting seaweed yeah. in their genome. Yeah. Which is I like, think we what? recently talked about that on SciShow. Yeah, they have mutated to be able to yeah. eat a food that you shouldn't be able to eat, which is also the case with like me and milk, to be clear. Like it was, it's a relatively recent mutation that allows us to digest lactose. Mm-hmm. Huh. Do we get it from another thing? No, we, just we just always have it at birth. Oh, okay. So normally we lose right. the ability oh, okay. to produce it as we grow older mm-hmm. because we only need it as a child to solidify the milk in our stomachs to make it easier to digest. Right. But as humans, we then lost the switching off process during adolescence. Oh. Because we like milk too much. Because we like milk so much. Too oh, yeah. Just got to just get it from a different animal. We got this big old thing. Just squeeze it. Yeah. <laughs> Parts of that big old thing are very squeezable looking. <laughs> I'm not saying it was yeah. a weird decision. Yeah. The babies were squeezing it. Yeah. And we were like, let's do that with hands instead of mouths. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, Or baby. let's start with mouths and then probably do the transition eventually. Uh, hopefully soon. All right. I'm going to make you guys guess. Sam, you want to go first? I think I'm going to go with the... Oh, God. The wasabi one. He's going to go with wasabi. He thinks it's the sleeper. I'm going to go for the anti-malarial. Quinine. I'm going to go for wasabi too. Oh, double wasabi. Oh, mm-hmm. God, Sarah, you got to go with your instincts. It was quinine. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> so so we're going to start from the top. Uh, wasabi does have antibacterial properties. And there is question about whether wasabi was first introduced to sushi, not because the meat was dirty, but because it was prepared by dirty knives and dirty hands. Mm. From what I could tell, this is something that people say, but something that is not necessarily true. Uh, I also saw lots of people saying that it was used to prevent parasites. That's definitely not true. I just don't think it would work. Mm. Uh, Parasites are burrowed inside of the fish flesh. And for the most part, fish don't have parasites, especially the ones that are eaten in Japan for obvious reasons. They figured that out over the years of eating fish. Second, yes, this is all just true. And it's it's a fascinating story of how um, this this. It was a, it's a muscle relaxant, um, quinine, in addition to being bad for the, for the malaria parasite. Um, and so it was taken in South America as an anti-diarrheal drug so that like it relaxes your colon and your small intestine to prevent it from 
squeezing out your poop too fast. And uh, that's the technical. Mm-hmm. That's how diarrhea works? Yeah, it's, it's the cramps. opposite of how I would think it well, would Well, the pain work. is the spasming, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then it shoots out. Well, it, doesn't, it just does it, it goes th- it goes through too quickly, so your no, the water I, doesn't get absorbed. I understand. Okay. <laughs> and then, like... The, I've had diarrhea. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and, and so, like, in that exchange, the, Ameri- the, the, like, Europe got quinine, which prevented malaria, and the Americas got malaria. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, that was a great trade-off. But yeah, so they started to give it to people in Rome who were shivering during that portion of malaria where you like get really feverish and shivery. And then they just got better. And they were like, they, for forever, they thought it was just really good at preventing the shivers, but it turned out it was actually preventing the disease. Mm. There was so much malaria in the Mediterranean that there is a natural resistance to it oh, in the yeah, genetics. Huh. So the same way sickle cell anemia in right. Africa bears some resistance, there's beta thalassemias, which are other blood disorders, have quite a high incidence in the Mediterranean <laughs> because of the amount of historic malaria in the area. Which is now mostly gone. Yep. Which is wonderful. But could come back because, you know, global warming. Sure. Yay. Right. That's why we live in Montana, Sally. Uh, and, f- and finally, uh, Pliny the Elder was wrong about a bunch of stuff. And we're going to talk about one of the things he was wrong about in But One More Thing this episode, which, Sally, is the portion of the episode at the very end where we have a butt fact. That's the portion where we had the butt fact? We, we can have nowhere else. I mean, we have a lot okay. of other ones. <laughs> that one just has to be a butt right. fact. Um, but this was a sheep dip during ancient Roman times that was for making the sheep's wool better, preventing them from being scabby, and uh, getting rid of their ticks was to dip them in olive dregs and the dregs and like the leftover leavings from pressing wine. Um, but that was not from Pliny. That was from uh, Marcus Portius Cato, who wrote the the Roman Farm Management Guide. Oh yeah, Marcius loved love his work. <laughs> yeah, I read quite a bit of it. It sounds um, interesting. He was really into into how to prevent ticks, mm-hmm. and uh, and part of it was you had to leave it on them and let them sweat for two days, and then you had to have them run into the ocean. Was this a real thing that worked or not? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, they have better ways of preventing ticks now. Sure. Uh, so somehow I got two Hank Bucks out of that. Sorry. Even though as soon as Sally <laughs> opened her mouth, I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I really thought I did hear the die thing at some point. In, in, in I didn't come story. across that, but mm. it's certainly possible. Before we get to the fact off with Sally versus Sari, oh my gosh, this is going to be intense. We're going to have a little bit of an ad break. See y'all soon. Slash Your Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. Aspersions. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) 
You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah. That yeah. bean's not going to grow if there's there's a constant drain on the on bean. The bean. Yeah. That. <laughs> Is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, <laughs> Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> <laughs> subscription companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. And we're back. We've got some results. Sal, you have one Hank Buck. Yay. I have two Hank Bucks. Sam has one for his poem. Oh, yeah. Well I done. I always on forget that. that part. Thank yeah. you. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm last. Very <laughs> last and has no opportunity to come back. This no. is not really a game that's designed to like to, for it to be fair. And now it's time for the fact off. <laughs> so get ready. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow me and Sam's minds. So we each have a Hank Buck to award to the fact we like the most. If we hate both of the facts, we can just throw the Hank Buck away. So who goes first in our fact off? Did you know that the word parasite comes from the Greek word for uh, a person who eats at another person's table? So the person who's going to go first is the person who most recently ate at someone else's table. I mean, yeah, I ate half an hour ago and all tables in the U.S. are not my table. <laughs> I don't eat at tables very often. So He's last time I... ate lots of desks. So I guess Sally goes first because you ate it at my old <laughs> dining room table. Um, so because it is about parasites, I thought I'd do this cool story. It's from 2015. And you may... It's, it's so hard to say this, but you may know about the parasite cordyceps already, which is a fungus that infects ants and makes them climb sure. up high. And then it's amazing that so many people already know that they're like, oh, yeah, I know about cordyceps. But this is a different thing. And firstly, it infects fruit flies. And I have just finished my PhD on fruit flies. That is one <laughs> reason for choosing this. Um, so it infects Drosophila melanogaster. And it's a fungus called Entomophthora musca. Good. Which literally means destroyer of flies. Oh. And it's a fungus that similarly makes the flies climb up and then it eats all of the fatty tissue first, leaves all the vital organs. Then when it's done, it changes the cognition of the fly so that it climbs up to a high point, fuses its mouth parts with a leaf and then bursts out and it fires spores at 21 miles an hour. But oh. that's not the fact. Okay. <laughs> that was a prefact. The fact is this parasitic fungus is only parasitic when it is itself 
parasitized by a virus. So it's double parasitism. But it's when it doesn't have the virus, it's like, cool, I'm just a regular fungus. No big. I don't want you to fly. They can only find them together. So at first, Ah. they tried to sequence the fungus's RNA, which is like what genes are actually being switched on. And they found 20% viral genes. But that's Hmm. no biggie. Whenever you get infected by a virus, there is a chance that some of it will enter your genome. I've got virus genes. Yeah, exactly. But then they found out that this virus normally directly infects insects. Mm -hmm. And insects and fungi are in no way alike. Okay. And so they're like, what's going on? And so somehow there is a virus that normally infects insects that now infects fungi in order to make them infect insects (laughs) and then changes their brain. So that they explode? The The flies explode? So the flies explode. So they describe it as their wings lift up like cars doors in a sports car. And then, yeah, then the fungus bursts out of it and Whoa. the fruiting bodies shoot the spores out. Cool. All right, Sarah, hit us with your fact. Uh, so mine's a little bit older. In October 1996, the New York Times published an article about mysteriously deformed frogs across the U.S. and Canada. Ooh. Some had stumps where their legs should have been, while mm. others had way too many. So like four fra- sprouting from the same point or legs all over their body. <sighs> And this especially happened in Minnesota wetlands where researchers were having trouble finding places without abnormal frogs. So like the majority of the wetlands had some sort of deformed frog. People were pretty weirded out, citizens too, and they set up state hotlines. And they were worried that pesticides or other toxic pollutants were messing with frog development and somehow that could affect humans too. But then within a couple of years, we figured out that a parasitic flatworm called Riberia was to blame. And it's because the larvae of... Larvae, the larvae of these flatworm, burrow into tadpoles and create cysts by their limb buds, which is the point in the tadpole where their limbs develop from, and seem to release a bunch of a chemical called retinoic acid, which plays a key role in the cell biology of early development, among other things. This is because frogs with deformed legs are more likely to be eaten by hungry birds like herons, which is where the parasite wants to be to restart its whole life cycle. Um, And its whole life cycle has... Ridiculous number of parts. So step one, it sexually reproduces and lays eggs within birds, which get spewed out in their poop and end up in water. Underwater, the eggs hatch, and then the first stage uh, infects aquatic snails. They eat the internal organs of the snails to make them (laughs) sterile and then reproduce asexually within the snails to produce a different larval form. Oh, my God. And then that larval form is what infects tadpoles, messes with their development, creates weird frogs, and then the cycle continues. Some people think there's intelligent design. <laughs> <laughs> it has two different forms of sexual reproduction. Or there's asexual reproduction and sexual reproduction, mm-hmm. both. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I feel so sorry for aquatic snails. They seem to be one of the hosts yeah. for so many different parasites. Mm-hmm. They're very uh, porous, right? Yeah. Pretty easy to know, get into yeah, an aquatic when you're snail. Like, when like all of your surface area is mucous membrane, it's just like, I'm in! <laughs> <laughs> is that the parasite's hacker voice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they give them a bunch of legs so the birds are like, mmm, tasty? Yeah, you can't run away from a bird if you got 18 legs. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can run 18 times faster. Yeah, you the super frog. Yeah. I also love the idea of a state hotline. Like, there is a scourge of multi-legged frogs. Yeah. If you have seen them, please call this number now. Yeah. There's a scary frog in my yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got super freaking out. Because they put retinoic 
acid on newt limb buds. Because newts are really good at regenerating their limbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember a lecture where they're like, and it's all driven by retinoic acid, because if you chop off a newt's leg, it can grow it back. Right. right. And if you put retinoic acid on it, it will grow it back fast. But it makes its own. That's interesting. It makes its own. It makes its own. It makes it. So even as an adult, it can, yeah. it's like the equivalent of chopping off your hand and growing back your hand. Yeah. Right. But can I get 17 hands? Do you want that? We could that? try. Well, I think there was a diminishing returns on hands. <laughs> Where would you even put them all? <laughs> I don't know. Up your arm. Or would they be tiny little hands at the end of your fingers so you would have fractal hands? Yeah. Really what I want is an extra pair of fingerprints so I can do crimes. <laughs> oh, you can just use latex for that. You don't need a whole new hand. Oh, we should do a crime science episode. Teach Ooh. people how to do the perfect crime. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and spend a hank buck on this. Because there's no way you guys are going to think this is worthwhile. My <laughs> One of my uh, advisors in undergrad was trying to write a mystery novel in which one of the major plot points was that he got a bone marrow transplant, like the criminal got a bone marrow transplant to change his blood type. And I was like, but DNA, man. And he was like, yeah, but they only test the blood type in the book. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's like 2001, man. We got DNA now. Could he have said it in a time when they didn't just test yeah, the Yeah, that's maybe that should have done, done that. that. Yeah. It's good. I'm glad you're thinking. Let's steal his book idea. <laughs> but there'll be no records at all of this man undergoing a bone marrow transplant. Either. Right. Uh, yeah, he does it in a, an illicit bone yes. marrow transplant yeah. in an illicit bone marrow ward. But apparently you can, like, sometimes when you get a bone marrow transplant, your blood type changes. Whoa. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, it makes, like, if, if you have diseased bone marrow and, yeah. like, the, the reason you're getting a bone marrow transplant is to, to have healthy bone marrow and it's from a person who has a different blood type, then... I'm mostly amazed that the body made. wouldn't reject it right. if it's producing a different Apparently that's a different set of things. So, like... Obviously, you can't give, like, one blood to another type of person. Yeah. But, like, uh, certain blood types, I think you can... Oh, I suppose, like, a, if you're O negative, right. you could give it to anyone. Yeah. Something like that. So, yes, we have to give points away. <laughs> That's right. Sarah, your fact was? Frog legs. <laughs> They're deformed frogs. Yeah, Yeah, that's better. And Sally, your fact was? A fungus that parasitizes flies is in itself parasitized by a virus. That one has two parasites on it. It's true. And that parasite, is it like it's going, the virus wants inside the bug and so does the fungus, but the fungus might not even want to get inside the bug without the virus. I'm going with Sally because I think a virus that affects a fungus that then affects the brain of a fly is too much. Too much. It's too much. Uh, you can just give it to her. It's fine. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> no, I kind of like, like, uh, they're just spooky. I do like the idea of a whole pond full of frogs with the wrong number of legs. Yeah, right. like a whole mm-hmm. state full of swamp full of frogs with the wrong number of legs. So I'm nope. going to give it to Sari. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Did it get fixed? I don't think so. I think I it's know. still an ongoing problem. Okay. But it's good for the herons. It's good for the herons and it, fluctuates in levels. I don't right. I don't know if it's as bad as it once was, but now we have an explanation for it. And we found things like an increased biodiversity in the ponds helps negate the parasite uh-huh. because otherwise, if like it's one species of frog, they're all getting taken over by the parasite. They're all getting eaten. They don't have a chance to bounce back. But if many different amphibians are getting infected, then the infection rate is much lower. Is it and, actually good for the herons? I mean, they get something to eat and the parasite doesn't really affect them. I'm sure it steals some nutrients, but mm-hmm. it just like comes out in their poop. Hmm. It's worse for snails, worse for frogs. Grow better skin, guys. 
<laughs> it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds that this week I am not sitting on. Dylan at Physicinicism asks, are there any examples of parasites that are bigger than the animals they exploit? Ooh, good question, Dylan. This was a good question. I bet there is. I was thinking about brood parasites because cuckoos, oh, it's so when uh-huh. a cuckoo lays its egg in the nest of another bird, that is called a brood parasite. And I looked up the numbers. So a cuckoo can be about 130 grams. Don't ask me what that is in Imperial. And the birds that it parasitizes, it's like the meadow pipit, can be 15 grams. So that is an eight times larger oh, no. than, than the mum. Than the mum. And the wow. mum doesn't recognize. And it has a super normal stimuli with a massive gape, the, the color of the inside of the bird's mouth. And so the mum's just like, I have to feed it. I have to feed it. And you see That's these really it. sad images of this whopping great big bird in this tiny little nest. And the mum is obviously so much smaller. <laughs> and she's still feeding it. Uh, she oh, loves her that. giant son, though. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, just because your baby's giant doesn't mean you don't love it. <laughs> so, I mean, there are so many interesting things about cuckoos. The baby as g- breaks its egg really, really quickly. So mm. it's still a kind of pink jelly bean size thing and pushes, the first thing it does is pushes all the other eggs out of the nest. When it's so, still a jelly bean? When it's yeah, still a jerk. jelly bean. You oh. see this tiny, I think it's still blind at this point, oh tiny God. little jelly bean and it's just using its shoulders to push out the other eggs. Oh, no. And the eggs themselves, <laughs> so you get different kind of classes of cuckoo that specialize on a different species so that mm-hmm. their eggs will perfectly match the egg color. And uh, it's there's so many amazing adaptations between huh. cuckoos and the birds that they parasitize. I really thought that they just got so big that the other babies fell out of the nest. No, they, they actually, actually, certainly with the Eurasian them. cookie, they push them out. Oh, no. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I'm going to get that little jelly bean, knock it over the head and say, you need to learn some manners. <laughs> but cuckoos, or certainly the European cuckoo, is red-listed at oh. the moment. It's really not doing very well. Well, so maybe I'll... Maybe. It's, 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 it's such slack. an emotional rollercoaster with cookies, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an evolutionary arms race, it too, because the, the yeah. birds that they parasitize are trying to recognize yeah. different colored eggs or notice like when a baby a baby that hatches different. way too early and starts shoving eggs around yeah. and be like, maybe you're just food now. Mm-hmm. They even create alarm calls so that the actual mother bird will fly off so that the cuckoo can swoop oh. in and lay the egg when the mother's gone away. Wow. So they imitate other the other bird's alarm. Yeah. If they think it was a hawk that swooped by, they won't check mm. their eggs. Whereas if the mother bird sees a cuckoo around, they're much more likely to look at their eggs and say, hang on a sec, that one's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Man. Mm-hmm. Birds need to get smarter. Be like, I had four eggs, now I have five. <laughs> yes. But then you don't know which one to peck. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, because we can notice the difference, but the birds. Yeah. If if you see a like a human sees a nest mm-hmm. with two different types of eggs, oftentimes yeah. we can see a color that the right. birds won't be able to observe or things oh, like that. Okay. Um, but also, the eggs just genuinely are very very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you see the correct cuckoo egg next to what it should be, yeah, they are so good at mimicking. It is incredible. Like even the spots and the patterns mm. on the egg, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. There is a bird, the superb fairy wren. They teach their uh, embryos a password inside the egg. And so they're talking to their chicks 
I, I don't know exactly how it happens, what but there's some sort of like communication. Like they tap on the shell with their little baby beaks? It's not a password tapping. It's a password song called an incubation call. Mm, so the moms beautiful. just, as soon as they lay their eggs, it sounds like they start calling to them and talking to them and singing to them. And when they hatch, I think they have to repeat back this very specific <laughs> password. Mm. And the cuckoo eggs or whatever uh, whatever brood parasite has laid eggs in their nest, those chicks don't have the ability to learn this call, so they, they don't remember it. They don't do it, it. And, then the, do and then it. the mama's like, I'm going to kick you out of the nest mm-hmm. or possibly just not just feed you or possibly you. just eat you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you to our science couch. That was wonderful. I feel so educated. If you want to ask a question to our science couch, you can tweet your question using the hashtag AskSciShow. You can also follow us at SciShowTangents on Twitter. We're at SciShowTangents.org if you want to find us and share us and tell people about us. Thank you to Lena Garner and Tony Espinoza and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Our final Hank book tally. Sarah, you have one Hank book. Sally, you have two Hank books. Mm. Hank, you only have one because you went on your weird bone marrow novel tangent and I didn't appreciate it. I took away one of my own Hank Bucks. And Sam, you have one. Sally, you're our winner. Yay! Yay. And Sally, where can we find more of what you do? Like shed science and sofa science and the thing that I'm about to do. You are about to do an interview on my channel. You can go to my YouTube channel youtube.com slash Sally LePage. S-A-L-L-Y-L-E-P-A-G-E. That is Exactly right. I did it. <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, you can do that one by leaving a review wherever you listen. Thank you to Yona L and Love My Dog 21 for doing that. It is super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from the episode so that we can look at it and laugh because like, yeah, you're right. That was funny. And finally, if you want to show your love for tangents, you could just tell people about us. Thanks for joining. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sam Schultz. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sally LePage. SciShow Tangents is a co-production between Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroka Matsushima, and our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. One more thing. Pliny the Elder also thought that ticks were in a class of animals that didn't have anuses, and so they just ate and ate and ate until they exploded and died.